Welcome to this Center for Sport and Human Rights podcast series focusing on the sport-related impacts of COVID-19 on children. I'm Mary Harvey, CEO of the Center for Sport and Human Rights. Esport has seen exponential growth over the past few years, and the pandemic has only increased its rise in popularity. In today's episode, we discuss gaming's enormous reach and explore both the challenges, such as online safety and increased screen time, as well as its power for social change, education, and the opportunity for connection during a time of isolation. Thank you for joining us today, and here's your host, Kirsty Burroughs. Hello and a warm welcome to the fourth episode of this Centre for Sport and Human Rights podcast series, focusing on the sport-related impacts of COVID-19 on children. Today's episode focuses on the incredible growth of esport and the multitude of benefits and opportunities that children can gain from participation in esport, as well as some of the key challenges that it presents. For those who are new to the term, eSport or electronic sport is a form of competition where the medium is video games and competitors use computers or gaming consoles to play various video game titles for both online and in-person competitions and tournaments. And it's really, really big. It's estimated to have an audience of over 495 million people by the end of 2020. And I'd be interested to see how those figures have actually changed um, because they were estimated before the COVID-19 pandemic. During the pandemic, online gaming has provided connection, interaction and competition, but it's also raised safety concerns around increased screen time and online safety for children. So here to discuss some of these topics and more, we welcome our guests, Boban Tototsky, General Secretary of the International Esports Federation, Josiane Galea-Baron, Children's Rights and Business Specialist at UNICEF, Oliver Weingarten, founder and CEO of London United, an international sports lawyer and president of the Court of Arbitration for eSport, Alfonso Leon. Thank you so much to all of you for joining us today. And we, we do have a lot to cover. So let me jump straight in. We know that the eSport industry has experienced tremendous growth over the past three few years. So my question to you is, how do you see the, the pandemic impacting the esport industry? And have you seen a marked increase in user engagement, especially um, amongst children during the pandemic? Maybe I'll go first to you, Boban. Thank you. Well, uh, of course, we are noticing uh, the huge impact it has. Uh, the good thing here, because we have to get out something good out of the bad that's happening, is that um, the kids are more engaged in the gaming and uh, they're playing much more games now. Uh, the relevant thing is that now much more factors are interested into what the kids are doing. Before, because in 2019, nobody was focused on that because everybody had other concerns. Now with the COVID, they see that the ch children welfare is, uh, is an issue because they're not going to the schools, they're learning online. Not all countries are ready and prepared, I'm talking globally, to have uh, everything uh, under control to have the kids uh, entertained, educated, cared about, and uh, they are all on their phones, on tablets, on computers, playing the games. And now the social phenomena that used to be, you know, like only for gamers, now is available to everyone and everyone is doing it. Uh, the good thing out of all this is that now all the relevant factors in the world can actually focus more time and energy, uh, like the relevant, I don't know, United Nations, 
and other organizations can actually focus how to promote responsible gaming to the kids and to the esport players and athletes. For example, what we are doing as the International Esport Federation, uh, we are planning a project which is called Run to Play in order to, to make the kids run before they play and they have a certain threshold they need to fulfill in order to be able to play. Also, we are integrating esports with physical activity. So, for example, after playing two hours uh, a game, you must get up from the computer, one hour physical activity and socialization, so the overall uh, player performance can be much better. And there are many studies that confirm, actually, that any gamer and, and a professional esport athlete is much, more, uh, is much more proficient in the game and brings better results if he has constant physical activity and better socialization, better social life. Thank you very much, Boban. That's hugely interesting. And I, I really like the sound of that run to play initiative, because one of the conversations that people are currently having is that increased time online might promote sedentary behaviors and, and uh, the way that that might impact uh, children and young people. So initiatives such as this is really fantastic and seeking that balance between online engagement and physical activity or sedentary behavior and physical activity is so crucial. And that brings us on to another one of the concerns that's been brought to light during the pandemic. And that's that with lockdowns and restrictions in place, children have few opportunities to go out and meet their friends and play recreational sports. And this is having a multitude of impacts, as we heard earlier on in the series, on both their physical well-being and also their mental health. Oliver, I know you've been working on some really interesting initiatives with your team, focusing on a lot of these concerns and how these issues might impact children and in particular children's mental well-being um, and uh, potential initiatives around eSport. Could you tell us um, more about that? Yes, thanks, Kirsty. I think there's a few points there. One is I don't think we can exclusively just refer to children when it comes to mental health in this issue. Um, the second is, you know, the stigma that used to be attached to gaming isn't there anymore. And I think Boban alluded to that. Uh, you can now have a career that arises out of gaming. You can be an esports athlete. Uh, you can be a content creator. And actually, the point about being an esports athlete is that you need to look after your body and health and nutrition and mental health are all key aspects. And that's actually at London United what we try and ingrain from the start that we don't want to encourage our community to be playing video games 23 hours a day. They've got to understand the importance of looking after the body, doing physical exercise. So when we have run physical events to try and, and give grassroots gamers an opportunity, we've actually tried to integrate an element of sport into, for example, our FIFA tryouts, where we had a physical five-a-side event beforehand. During COVID, of course, it's become a lot more challenging, and we uh, have hosted some online events um, where actually as an esports organization where we're uniting with social responsibility, we're using the platform to address social issues and loneliness and mental health was one of the first that we addressed during lockdown <clears throat> in the, the first lockdown in April. And we ran a FIFA event and we found a gamer who was going to have the opportunity to play against some of the top esports teams in the world, like Fnatic and Ninjas in Pajamas. And when we um, signed that player, we actually did a week of training with him with a company that actually was used to working with esports professionals to help educate them on how to essentially perform as an esports athlete. But through that whole process of finding the gamer, we addressed loneliness and mental health and worked with a charity for male suicide prevention called CAM. And then throughout the whole COVID pandemic, we have addressed different issues which are just as relevant, nutrition, diversity, etc. 
Thank you very much, Ollie. It's really interesting to hear how effectively eSport can be a mechanism or a tool to actually address some of the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on children, such as loneliness and isolation, and, and actually be a tool to help educate them on important issues such as nutrition. Uh, as you say, this is really uh, interesting. And I'd like to come back to a point that both you and Boban mentioned um, with regards to the importance of balance. And that balance must be something that's really hard for children to attain um, and for parents to promote during a lockdown when there's so many restrictions on their activities. And one thing that struck me was that in 2019, I, I understand that spectatorship of esport was estimated to be over 400 million worldwide. And that in the UK, esport was the second most watched on screen sporting activity for boys, second only to football. So with not only participation, but also viewership of esports so high, I wonder how we might obtain a balance during the pandemic when there are so few ways to children to interact with one another and the ability to partake in physical activity has been so reduced. I'm going to go to Josiane here because I, I understand you recently wrote a report on healthy gaming behaviors, behaviors with UNICEF. Is that right? Yes, thank you. Um, so maybe just to quickly set the stage a little bit for where I'm coming from uh, in, in terms of looking at these issues and um, zooming in a bit more deeply on, on the esports issues. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, as UNICEF in earlier in this, uh, this year, uh, in the beginning of summer, we launched uh, a set of industry recommendations for online gaming on assessing impact on children and, and children's rights. And we talk about screen time as one of those topics. You know, we just mentioned the huge impact that uh, COVID has had on so many different dimensions of, of childhood. But what this report really looks at uh, and what as the child rights of business angle we look at is also what are the responsibilities of, of companies in, in helping children to have the best experiences online and to uphold their rights online. I think we also spoke about very briefly um, the the fact that the lockdowns and this wholesale move to digital platforms and relying so much on on digital environments to continue normal life has challenged a lot of preconceived or like older notions of you know um, stigma or 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 uh, fear around certain activities online and 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 I think screen time was one of those um, aspects where suddenly it became clear that screen time is time with friends or time being able to engage and being able to to play with 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 people who you suddenly without any warning lost access to in real life and that led to a huge increase in all kinds of gaming activities i think one thing that comes up in in research that's done by unicef looking at this issue of screen time is that when looking at you know adverse experiences that children have online it's has more to do with what children are doing so the activities that they're engaging in online and sort of what content they're seeing and uh you know what is their offline uh life context um that have more to do in terms of causing adverse experiences than the actual amount of time that is spent online so i think that's an encouraging finding uh in terms of being uh maybe a bit more uh, questioning a little bit, what is the actual uh, issue uh, that, we, that we need to tackle? Maybe 
less focus on the absolute number of hours, but more in terms of what's what is the child doing online and what kind of support do they have to um, engage uh, in a in a sort of healthy and happy way. Um, that's what that's where I would sort of put the focus. That's a a really great point, Josiane. And effectively, as you say, so much now is being done online. So we're not really looking at the absolute hours, but instead the safeguards that are in place to ensure that time online is beneficial for children or is not having any negative impact on them. And actually speaking of this, I'd like to talk a little bit about... this might be going off on a bit of a tangent, but the COVID-19 pandemic has hugely impacted children's access to education. Uh, we discussed uh, previously in, in this series that at one point we saw over 80% of the world's enrolled learners impacted. And I've been reading that through esports, children are actually able to hone a multitude of skills as they are able to, as well to do through traditional sports. But I'd like to come to maybe this idea of youth employment and the development of skills through participation in esport. Have you seen any programs that are utilizing esport to help children to develop different skills during the pandemic with a view to perhaps adding more to their CVs or getting them interested in working more within the sector? If I may jump in, we are uh, actually running a campaign where we're fusing education and esports in London next month. And we are working with the mayor of London and various outreach partners in boroughs to bring their participants to digital workshops that we're going to put on related to skills uh, in esports like video production and social media management and public speaking from the perspective of casting and hosting and commentating. And the whole idea is that over the course of two weeks, we're bringing in academics and industry contacts like Fnatic and Blast and uh, Gfinity, you know, reputable industry names. And the participants will be tasked with creating output for our three broadcasts on Twitch in the middle of December, where we'll be running FIFA and 2K competitions. So I think it's exactly to the point that you mentioned around trying to almost tackle youth unemployment or at least give them some skills which could benefit them if they could get a job in esports or that are at least transferable. That sounds like a a fantastic initiative. And as you say, really... Uh, looking to hone and develop skills which are really transversal. Um, Boban, did you want to come in on that point? Yeah, just uh, as a as a father of an eight-year-old kid who is uh, being on a tablet and a computer since two years, uh, he's developing extraordinary skills in mathematics and in logics. And actually, right after this session, I have to run and get him uh, on a coding class for children which is huge, if it's huge in Macedonia, in a small country like this, I guess it's huge in the world. So kids are being taught basics of coding because he says, I want to code a game like Among Us. I want to code a game like Brawl Stars. I want to do it. How can I make it? How can I make my own game? Because they don't like the rules of the games. And uh, they are like 10 friends. They're playing the game online every day for one hour. We have to limit the screen time somehow. But as a team, now they all want to learn how to code, how to create games. So they're learning uh, backhand, frontend, design, things like that on eight years. Eight years, our biggest concern was what we are going to eat and when do we need to go to sleep? And that's it, when we were eight years old. So the times are changing and this is a huge opportunity for us to digitalize uh, the world much more than it was. It is the digital revolution after all. It's very definitely far removed from what I can remember learning during my IT lessons at school, that's for sure. Um, 
Alfonso, maybe I can come to you because we've had a fantastic conversation around the multitude of benefits in participation and, and of, of esport and uh, uh, and how the increased participation could have potentially have a multitude of benefits for children at this time. But we've also touched upon the fact that there are some key challenges. And one of these is around online safety. And I know this is not a new discussion. This is an ongoing discussion about how we keep children safe online. Um, and that there are some initiatives that the esport industry is doing to try and address this. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, yes, uh, for sure. And uh, I mean, in terms of the opportunities that it brings uh, to the table, uh, plenty. And particularly, I mean, uh, my, my my colleagues and co-panelists have already like largely addressed this. But talking about what uh, Oliver was mentioning before in the first uh, confinement, like the stricter, stricter one, uh, kids were not able to to go to school in plenty, plenty of places. And therefore this brought to the table like a, like a, like an incredible opportunity that uh, before eventually it wouldn't have been able to, up to which extent a uh, whole education process can be carried out exclusively through, uh, I would say not, but definitely it's a way of complementing it and supplementing it and wherever it's impossible to just attend a live, um, it is really, it is really a perfect match. And when it comes to what can, uh, the industry do in terms of, of protecting and uh, I think it is it is a very good uh, point to, to tackle. Why? Because many times there are very high uh, or onerous demands, I would say, from different uh, industries or, or different institutions towards the esports industry because it's like the new one, like, I mean, uh, rather than the new one, like the, the booming one and in terms of putting forward uh, certain requirements, which are, I think are way too excessive. Why? Because uh, esports, as I said, uh, are there like a way of supplementing and, and eventually helping out, but we cannot uh, villainizing them in terms of putting up on their shoulders too much responsibility because, uh, and here, like I have to revert to, to the Wesco, to the Wesco guide issued for, for, ch for, for, for children, which is, which is pretty much in line with the one of another uh, esports uh, institution, which has also like a private nature in terms of it tells us how mature is the esports industry, because we've seen that, that all around the world. And I'm sorry about talking about the legal part, and it's one of the most uh, boring ones in speaking in all forums. But uh, this kind of, uh, as the governments many times are not putting forward a specific set of regulations for that, the esports industry showing. Uh, a huge degree of maturity. Uh, we compare them, for, for instance, with traditional sports that they took them uh, decades to react to certain issues. And then we see like already like two uh, international organizations of a private nature, which means that gathering uh, esports stakeholders that decided that they had to reach an agreement with that. Uh, the main one and here I'm referring to, to WESCO and then WESCO clearly states in its guy that you were telling us in the introduction to this uh, to this podcast that video games and PCs are here uh, not to teach or, or, or educate. I mean, they can help out, but this is a matter of, of family, of, uh, of schools, of social circles. And, and again, so putting all this uh, burden uh, upon esports uh, would, be, uh, would be way too much. And then this is pretty much the same that the Esports Integrity Commission uh, also, also says. And what can esports do? And what is already like esports doing? And that was uh, that's why I was talking about maturity because they are putting in place uh, procedures. 
procedures in order to uh, uh, monitor, uh, in order to provide guidance and codes of conduct, in order to provide rules and regulation, uh, very clear reporting mechanism that eventually will allow that to see that within any industry, because obviously it happens and it will happen in, in esports as in any other industry. There are always people or institutions, like legal or physical persons, that will do some things uh, wrong, in this case affecting affecting children um, eventually. Uh, and in this case, like having proper uh, reporting mechanism, like the ones that uh, WESC puts in place, the ESICA puts in place, is definitely uh, the way forward. And like this, the whole, the whole industry uh, interacts and, and, and helps out uh, in order to tackle them. And then also issuing from time to time uh, predictable reports, uh, talking about this matter, just like, uh, I mean, the, the report that has given a, the origin to the present uh, podcast, which serves that it correctly uh, spread among all stakeholders, if reviewed, that there is a reaction uh, within the industry to, to, to just step-by-step step, uh, adjust itself and, and periodically review its own uh, procedures. Kirsty, can I just jump in? Um, there's yeah. a couple of points I think that'd be quite relevant. One was earlier made by Josiane about screen time, and I've got three young kids and, uh, you know, they all talk about having screen time. I think that, that the pandemic has been bad in that respect for us all because screen time has just become this acceptable term now. And it's, I haven't had screen time today. And my son would sit in front of a screen for as many hours in a day. And I think, therefore, that comes down to responsible parenting and you know him knowing that gaming can be for good and not just for you know whatever he wants to play. But I have seen educational benefits from him. But I think... If I lead on from that, I think where Alfonso was talking about regulation, safeguarding for me is a really huge issue when it comes to children. You know, I'm dealing with minors quite a lot. With, you know, we're hearing a lot of stories and about the lack of consistent approach that maybe esports organizations are taking with minors. And actually, um, for these Interborough Championships, I've had to think about safeguarding policy for the first time. Now, when I've contracted with gamers, I put safeguarding provisions in the contract. But now, you know, we are delivering educational workshops and over Zoom and there's chat. We've got to actually think about safeguarding a lot more. And my concern going forward is that without a consistent approach across the ecosystem, and you, you, you can hear from others that even with things like the Esports Integrity Coalition, the whole ecosystem isn't in that, so to speak, because it's quite a disparate ecosystem, quite frankly. So my concern is if there isn't some sort of consistent approach that it could blow up and we could have a huge uh, scandal, for lack of a better word. So one of the projects that we're working on, and maybe I'll talk to Josiane separately as well about it, is safeguarding in esports. Thank you, Ollie and Alfonso. I, I think two fantastic points. And as you say, Alfonso, safeguarding in sport is something that impacts all of sport. And harassment and abuse of any kind can happen in person or it can happen online. But esports is a digitally native entity, so it certainly has some specific considerations related to safeguarding participants online. But as you mentioned, Alfonso, these will be similar also in some respects to general online safety. How do we protect children online in general, whether they're on social media, uh, on online education or in other areas? Although we do know there are specific considerations related to esports, so for example, with regards to exposure to violence or things like that, which, which may be a little bit more specific um, to the industry and requiring, as you say, Ollie, uh, um, an, a cohesive approach. 
And this is something that I'd like to go back to Josiane about, because I know some recommendations have been made recently and a report came out related to this. Maybe you could take us through some of those, Josiane. Yes, uh, sure. Thank you. I think there's a, a lot there to, to pick up on. I, I fully agree with the this, this fact that, that there needs to be um, a consistent approach and a, and a high standard of sort of embracing the fact that children are engaging with esports inside of esports and that they have specific rights and needs that need to to be um, met. I think the the issue of online safety has also been uh, in many ways one of the headlining concerns and features of, of lockdown and COVID in general and sort of UNICEF has been thinking about that uh, in, in a lot of detail. There's a lot of um, uh, a technical note that came out in April and lots of, of guidance and, and recommendations for, for parents and children um, and uh, and other stakeholders to really address some of the some of those concerns and and those risks, um, but I think you know the the responsibilities are are across the whole value chain. Um, you know, thinking about the developers of the games, uh, thinking about um, you know streaming as well. You know, children are experimenting with different ways of of engaging with with online games and esports, and there's there's a distributed um, responsibility, and that's what the recommendations are really designed to to think about sort of uh, no matter what kind of company you are no matter where in the value chain you sit there are specific uh considerations that and questions you know that's all framed as as questions we recognize that this is there are lots of issues here that are not resolved and it's it's one step forward in a journey and understanding what are the child rights impacts across these different themes and what the different players can do to to engage them but for example one of the topics that the recommendations really looks at are uh, is is the issue of of toxic environments and uh, sort of peer to peer um uh bullying or or harassment that can take place and uh, some some of the rec- again the recommendations are 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 are, are framed as questions, and then there are questions that we will hope that that companies take into their internal kind of processes and discussions and ask themselves when they're making decisions or organizing events or or making um, new experiences. Um, and you know, one of the questions that we ask is, do do you encourage esports stars or or streamers to talk openly about? racism and sexism and hate speech to be like role models for for the audiences on demonstrating some of the positive behaviors that we'd like to see and and that's the the kinds of issues that we highlight in the recommendations we also talk about officially acknowledging codes of conduct um or finding ways other ways of of promoting healthy and positive gaming communities um and i i would really sort of any any of these uh, companies are listening to have a look at the recommendations and and see if there are anything that can be incorporated in in the way that um, things are kind of considered and set up. Definitely, it's a it's a really useful report. And perhaps Boban, would you like to come in with some comments on that? Yeah, just just a brief one uh, because we are working here with uh, multiple organizations uh, regarding this, and uh, we have identified that the only way to not prevent it, but to limit uh, cyberbullying and hate speech and all those things that are happening online is by having a real identity online. So each and every participant online needs to have his real identity. Uh, When we're talking about minors, then it should be the parents, under the parents, as 
as we all know, Google has a Google family. So whenever my son installs a game, I get a notification and I know what he's doing, what he, who he's talking to and what he's writing. Uh, that's the only way. And I think that China is the first country that uh, is trying to do that in the next two years. They have a project that will only allow you, if you have your real identity online, to play the game online or to be on the game online. And if China does it, then everyone will do it. I know there are maybe some legal privacy concerns and issues here, but uh, the moment when you start, like we are now with our real names online, I, there is nothing wrong you can say without people knowing that it's actually you who did it. Now they are hiding behind their uh, digital identity and uh, they're throwing the hate, hate speech outside. So I think that that needs to be treated from the root, not from the top. Thank you very much, Boban. There's some fantastic concrete uh, actions that we can take away there. And this brings me really nicely onto another topic that I'd really like to discuss with you, which is inclusion and representation. And as we've briefly touched upon, these issues of inclusion and representation could be addressed both in and through eSport. So I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about this. I know that we that recently a global consumer insights agency interpret noted a 6.5% rise in female esports viewership from the fourth quarter of 2016 until the fourth quarter of 2018 and that female viewers now account for a third of the esport audience are you seeing an increase in engagement amongst women and particularly girls as this podcast is is specifically related to children and are we moving towards gender equality in both viewership and participation in esports yeah uh, i think um well, I, I suspect we will all agree there is not parity between uh, male and female um, gender in gaming. In fact, the majority of women that you speak to, or let's say female kids that you speak to, uh, there's a toxicity surrounding um, females being involved in gaming. And I think that's part of the problem. Now, there's some great platforms that are out there that um, are preventing this happening. But you know the majority of feedback you get from, let's say, the the teenagers that are on Twitch and uh, playing online is that as soon as they identify themselves as females, the whole atmosphere and environment changes. So there are a lot of organisations that are trying to change this perception. And uh, you know, there's women, there's women in games and esports. There's um, black girl gamers that's come together, a fabulous set of content creators. There are a lot of organizations empowering women, um, specifically I say women because I don't think it's so applicable to children, thankfully, at this age. Um, but there's a lot of organizations empowering women to try and get more involved in the industry um, and to try and eradicate the toxicity. I think that the platforms that are being developed, which can safeguard the children, so to speak, are doing a great job in preventing this. But there's certainly not parity in the demographic thank you ollie and and Josiane, would you have anything that you might like to add maybe just to add a couple of the ideas or the the recommendations that we put out in in our um uh, publication that came out which looks at as you said inclusion and representation again i think that this is a very complex issue with many dimensions to it sort of not only what girls or, or young women or, or women will experience um, when interacting with other players but also what kinds of characters do they see in the game you know what kinds of role models are they are they um, presented with and what kinds of uh, you know what's the composition of the esports teams that they're 
uh, looking up to. Um, and, and some of the ideas or some of the recommendations that, that we put out there are, for example, are, are what is the composition of the teams that are organizing esports events and tournaments, you know, look, looking at the, the who's involved in, in creating these events or, for example, promotional materials for events. Do they include pictures of, of, of women, for example, and is the messaging itself inclusive and, and welcoming? So I think there's lots of uh, ways to look at how um, esports companies can, can really uh, step up in terms of finding ways of, of making sure that the environments are, are more inclusive and, and setting an example from, from, from the start. Thank you, Josiane. And Alfonso, would you have any thoughts on how we can, specifically on how we can improve access and opportunity and engagement with young women and girls in esports? Uh, yes, yeah, sure. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Christy, because uh, I fully agree with the analysis of, uh, of Oliver in terms of, uh, of a lack of party and, and, and simultaneously also with, uh, with, uh, with Josiane. Uh, I mean, I really have to to, to submit myself to, to, to their opinions because I think they are they're fully right. Uh, but 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 to that I, I would also say that I don't think that is a, a, a problem because this is like really a problem that we all have to gotta engage uh, together from our respective uh, institutions in my case from uh, from Wesco that needs to be tackled but not only from esports but uh, but really speaking. Uh, also from uh, traditional sports, this has been something that in traditional sports uh, that had to be uh, made right for uh, even more, more more time. But uh, but I think the, the, the appropriate steps uh, are being taken. For instance, I've heard of initiatives like I don't know if like uh, League of Girls, but uh, getting like obviously a League of Legends and so on. That is uh, one platform like among several plenty of others. That, that tends to give more uh, visibility to, to girls in the, in the gaming scene, like not only as competitors, but, uh, but eventually uh, also as, uh, as, uh, as streamers. And, uh, and I think this visibility is crucial for uh, absolutely everybody. And, and maybe that would allow to, to, to take out some of this uh, toxicity because from the moment that we will be starting to see like on the big scenes, on the big, big streamers or, or on the big uh, competitions, more and more women, Ensure that the younger generations will will, will obviously uh, uh, take it as a, as it should be, which is which is the, the way of, of how the world should be, and and going in that uh, in that uh, in that direction. But but it's a process that cannot be uh, done uh, overnight. But uh, but yes, but but at the same time, I fully agree, obviously, with the, with the analysis from uh, from both. Uh, Thank you, Alfonso. We've had such a fantastic discussion and it's been really interesting to hear how eSport can provide such a powerful pa platform to engage young people during this pandemic and assist in so many ways. So as we approach the end of this episode, I'd like to ask each of you if you have any key messages or recommendations that you'd like to share with children or with parents or caregivers of children who are participating or, or interested in esports on how to better navigate these times. Josiane, perhaps I'll come to you first. Sure. Um, I think maybe one my 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 top key message would be to uh, find ways of communicating more you know within within the household uh, in terms of children speaking to parents parents taking the time and, and uh, making the space to, to discuss esports and understand uh, what's what their 
child is doing and and build a bit more of a sense of um, you know togetherness and being able to understand what's what's uh, what what children are doing online because that that channel of communication is really key also to keeping children safe and making sure they're uh, enjoying uh, the opportunities of of these online environments uh, and and managing the risks and the other one is is really to focus in on this this concept of balance um, in everything uh, that we that we talk about online it's about balancing risks with opportunities balancing children's rights holistically and balance in terms of you know physical activity and online activity I think this this concept is a really important anchor uh, when trying to to make it through lockdowns but but also beyond Thank you very much. And Ollie, I know that you're doing some fantastic work in this area at the moment, specifically on isolation and, and on the mental well-being of children in the community. Do you have anything to add? I mean, I'm not quite sure how to trump Josiad. I think she raised uh, all the pertinent issues. I mean, she really did. You asked for a top three and you got them. So I think what I would just do is endorse them. I think that's the simplest and most effective use of time. Thank you very much, Ollie. And, and Boban, I'd like to come over to you now on any guidance or, or key recommendations that you'd like to, to suggest. Well, the, the only uh, access to the children, as, as you see, is uh, schools. So the only thing we can do is uh, approach them through the school programs and school platforms, explaining them how to game responsibly. And we need to do it at this age seven years eight years nine years after that it's too late we can't wait for them to become teenagers 15 16 years by then their mind is already made up and their habits are already part of their life so we need to do it at early as early as possible through programs through schools through education for example they are learning in school uh, computers now but uh, they're learning what hardware is what software is but nobody's teaching them the key name screen time what does it mean what does it do to your mind because uh, the kids after one or two hours of games after that it takes two hours for them to come back to normal to understand the real life what's happening around them to stop yelling to stop uh, jumping around to calm down and to start functioning normally i'm talking about kids between the ages of six and ten and that's the age where we need to focus and share some more education Thank you very much, Boban. And Alfonso, I think one of the key messages I've heard from you is that some of the challenges we are facing are also challenges that we're seeing um, across the board. So increasing screen time is increasing screen time and, and challenges to, related to, for example, online exploitation or safeguarding issues online are actually fundamental and need a cohesive approach across many different sectors. With all of that being said, I'd, I'd like to ask you if you have any final points or recommendations that you'd like to share that might help to summarize this for our listeners. Yes, of course. Uh, uh, from uh, I mean, I also feel tempted of just uh, adding to what Josiane uh, like very uh, brilliantly uh, elaborated as, as, as a conclusion, but, but, but I'm just going to add that uh, when it comes to parents, uh, esports is, a, I think, is a, is a fantastic tool, like also uh, in order to educate, not only to provide them leisure, but, educa but educating will be more and more and more uh, across the years, hopefully without the need of any confinement, but it will just become part of the, of the like, like a further uh, instrument that educators will be, will be utilizing because kids will see like something like very nat natural for them because it's something that they are used to and therefore they see like very, very easy and simple to, to, to handle. 
uh, not like us, maybe we're not that uh, technological uh, uh, natives, no. But but at the same time, while parents have to see that as an ally and a very good instrument, they should not just waive all the responsibility or just pretend that okay will be the, um, the 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 seller of the of the of the of the product itself or or of the developer of the technology or that the whole burden uh, to monitor is uh, is on the school. They should be on top of it. And for that, make use also of the, of the necessary uh, reporting mechanism. And for that, they have to also educate uh, the, the, their children insofar as how they can sort of detect what is right, what is wrong, what can they see online that they should immediately uh, go to their parents and let them know, or eventually tell the kids how to go to these uh, reporting uh, and anonymized uh, Mechanism and for that they needs needs to be true tr trust among both, uh, which again is something that uh, already Josian talked about about this sort of uh, um, yeah respect. And then uh, when it comes to diversity, that we were also touching this uh, this um, this topic. It is maybe like something like less broad and apologies for for me like so such general uh, observations. But when it comes to diversity. And, and, and the, the more visibility of, of women in the industry, I think it would be fantastic if we had more and more um, female uh, role models in the industry in terms of streamers or, or eventually uh, competing at the topest level, which we already have, but we need to give them like a little even more uh, visibility. Uh, I think that will help to, to step by step uh, uh, reduce the, the, the obvious gap that is there and we all have to work on it. And thank you very much for the for the invitation and, uh, and for the questions, Chrissy. Thank you very much. And this has been a, a really interesting conversation and I myself have, have definitely learned a lot. I'd like to say a huge thank you to our entire panel. Um, Josianga Lea Baron of UNICEF, Alfonso Leon of the International Court of Arbitration for Esport, Boban Totovsky of the International Esports Federation and Oliver Weingarten of London United. We hope that you'll all join us next time when we focus on children with disabilities and how the pandemic has affected these young athletes and their access to sport and recreation. For more information on this series, please visit the Centre for Sport and Human Rights website at sporthumanrights.org and make sure to follow us on Twitter at Sport and Rights. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to next time.